0: today's case is about the disappearance of a teenage girl in the 1980s. A disappearance with several theories around it, from running away, to being forced across the country in a sex trafficking in California, to a serial killer that struck just two blocks from her house within weeks of her disappearance. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crime Nerds. I'm your host, Coy, and this is the story of Laureen Ron. Loreen Ron was born on April 3, 1966, in Manchester, New Hampshire. While she was still an infant, her mother and father got divorced. When Loreen was four, her mother, Judith, moved with Loreen to Miami, Florida. They lived there for about six years and then they returned to Manchester. Back in Manchester, in 1980, Loreen attended Parkside Junior High School. There were really two sides to Lorene, who was only 14 years old at this time. One was described as being an outgoing and happy person. She excelled in school and had a great relationship with her mom. She loved singing, dancing, and had dreams of becoming an actress. The other side that was described, one that some people called troubled. An aunt of hers described her as hanging around with the wrong group of people. This was the side of Lorene that talked about running away from home, spending too much time hanging out on the streets, smoking weed, and drinking alcohol. On April 26, 1980, Judith attended a tennis match that her boyfriend was playing in, who competed professionally. Lorreen normally attended these matches also, but she asked if she could stay home this time. This was the start to Lorreen's spring break, and earlier that day, she spent time at a convenience store stocking wine coolers. In return, she got a six-pack of beer and a bottle of wine. With her mom away for a few hours, she invited two friends over. One was a male friend and the other was a female friend. A little after midnight, Lorraine was in the living room with the male friend. They heard voices in the hallway leading to the front door of the apartment, and they assumed that Lorraine's mom was coming back. The boy knew that he would get in trouble if he was there, so he slipped out of the back door and Lorene locked the door behind him. Whoever was in the hallway at that time, it was not Judith and her boyfriend. Around 1.15 in the morning, on April 27th, Judith and her boyfriend arrived at the apartment. Now, there was an interior hallway that led to their apartment. Every light in the hallway was off, making it completely dark. When Judith made it to the front door, the front door was unlocked. When they walked into the apartment, Judith noticed that the back door was left open. Judith immediately went to Lorene's room. At first, there was a sigh of relief because she saw someone asleep in the bed. But Then she quickly realized that it was Lorene's friend and not Lorene. The friend said that Lorene had been asleep with her in the bed but then she got a pillow and blanket and went to the couch there was a pillow and blanket on the couch but there were no signs of Lorene Lorene's purse and brand new shoes were still in the living room there were no signs of any sort of struggle in the apartment and it was as if Lorene just vanished into thin air Judith began calling family members Lorene wasn't with any of them her and her boyfriend then went out walking around the neighborhood but didn't see any signs of Lorene Around 3.45 in the morning, Judith saw a police car. She flagged down the officer and reported Lorraine missing. During the initial investigation, it was suspected that Lorraine ran away because she did talk about running away openly with friends. The other thing that was learned was that the lights in the hallway that were off, each light bulb had been unscrewed, and not just on the floor that Lorraine lived on, but on all three floors. When Lorraine didn't return home after a few days, the theory began changing. Investigators believed that she first left the house and planned to come back, but then something bad happened to her. This theory was further supported a little bit more when investigators went to a bus depot and showed a bus driver a photo of Lorraine. He said that she looked similar to a girl that he dropped off in Boston. And I don't know how old that photograph was, but a few weeks later investigators showed the bus driver a more recent photo of her And this time he said that he wasn't certain that Lorene was the girl that he dropped off. Investigators were able to rule out that both friends that Lorene had over, that they had no involvement in her disappearance. And they also had no idea where she could be. Just six weeks after Lorene went missing, a 25-year-old woman, Denise Bowden, who lived just two blocks from Lorene's apartment, also went missing from a bar in Manchester. Now, Denise was never found. And it's presumed that she was murdered. At the time of her disappearance, she was dating a guy by the name of Bob Evans. Which sounds like a fake name from the beginning. But over the next 20 years, Bob went by several other names. His real name turned out to be Terry Rasmussen. In 2003, Terry was arrested for murdering his then-wife. Terry was later connected to several other murders in the Bear Brook State Park, which is just a 20-minute drive from Manchester. While Terry has not been linked directly to Lorraine's disappearance, it is significant because it does show that there was a serial killer who was dating someone at the time that lived just two blocks away. Terry ended up dying in prison in 2010, but there's still a lot of the what-if part that connects him to the case. But as strong as a possibility that a serial killer may have been behind Lorene's disappearance, strange things began happening to Judith, and this investigation took a very dark turn. Almost six months after Lorene went missing, on October 1st, 1980, Judith noticed something odd on her phone bill she was charged for three phone calls that were made in California. Two calls were made from a motel in Santa Monica and the third from a motel in Santa Ana. The third one, the phone call was made to a teen sexual assistance hotline. Now I'm no expert on phone usage in the 1980s but I did read one thing that said if you're making a long distance call, you could charge it to someone else's phone bill you would have to have a PIN number, call the phone company, and they would charge the phone bill. Now, that may not be correct, it may have been a completely different thing, but regardless, phone calls were made from California that showed up on Judith's phone bill. Investigators began looking into this. They traced the teen sexual assistance hotline to a physician that ran the hotline. He told them that he had no idea who Lorreen was, and that he had never seen or spoken with her. Five years later, Carol Jensen, an investigator with the organization Wings for Children, talked to the physician again. This time, he had a different answer. He said that various young women and runaway teens occasionally made visits with his wife at their home. Now, he said that one of those girls may have been Lorreen. He then led investigators to Annie Sprinkle, who was a former adult film star, who is now helping young women. He said that she had been helping him and his wife, and she may know more about Lorene. Multiple investigators were working on this, and no one was able to connect Lorene to the physician, his wife, or Annie. In 1981, Judith began receiving strange phone calls that lasted for several years. Each phone call came around 3.45 in the morning. Whether it's a coincidence or not, that's also around the same exact time that morning that Judith filed the missing persons report. With each call, the person on the other end never said a word. It was complete silence. After a few years, Judith changed her phone number, and the calls stopped. On one occasion, Janet Roy received a phone call from a young girl. Janet was Lorene's aunt. The young woman asked if she could talk to Janet's son, Mike. Whenever Mike was handed the phone, no one spoke on the other end. Janet believed that the young woman on the other end of the phone was Lorene. She was one of the only ones that referred to her son as Mike instead of Michael. In 1986, Carol, with Wings for Children, wasn't done investigating this. She made the trip to California and located the motels that the three phone calls were made from. In her research, she found out that the motel in Santa Monica had previously been a filming location by a guy only known as Dr. Z, and he made child pornography. Carol wasn't able to confirm the true identity of Dr. Z, or link him to the hotline that the physician and his wife ran. But in a 2017 article, author Brenda Thornlow made some comments that they make sense. The physician's name has never been released, and really, this is playing an odds game here. But what are the odds that this physician and his wife run a hotline for runaway teens? Then this guy who is known around the same area to make child porn, goes by the name of a doctor. Seems a little weird. While the connection between Dr. Z and the physician or linking them to Lorraine couldn't be done, there were two potential sightings. In 1981 a friend of Lorraine's aunt believed that she saw Lorraine at a bus terminal in Boston. In 1988 someone reported that they believed they saw Lorraine and she was working as a sex worker in Anchorage, Alaska, neither of these sightings have been confirmed. In the late 1980s, Judith remarried and moved to Florida. Judith does believe that Loreen was the one who made the phone calls from the motel in California in the 1980s. The male friend that Lorreen was with the night that she went missing, his name has never been released. But it was reported that he committed suicide in 1985. The reason for that is unknown. But he is still not suspected of having any involvement in Lorene's disappearance. And really, there could be a lot of reasons for why. He could have blamed himself for leaving and then something happening to her. Or it could be completely unrelated to her case and going through some things in his own life. As we are winding down this episode, you can see that there are some very odd circumstances around the entire case. Loreen really could have left on her own that night. She may not have left to run away. She may have left to go meet someone or to get something from the store. Then she ran into someone very bad. But one of the weirdest things to me is the light bulbs in the hallway being unscrewed. Now, that could be completely unrelated. It could have been some prank that teenagers were doing. We may never know. Then, for years later, to find out that there was a serial killer only two blocks away, that's another huge possibility. One thing that was brought up in Brenda's article, Lorreen wanted to be an actress. It was a dream of hers. Another possibility is that she was lured away with the promise of being in California, working as an actress, and this is how she ended up in the sex trafficking world. All of those are completely viable options and theories. but. Here are my questions and kind of my own theories. The female friend that Lorene was with that night said that she didn't remember a lot from that night because she was too intoxicated. I find it a little difficult that Lorene had a plan to run away to California, or anywhere really, and wouldn't have told her friends, especially if they were drinking. Even furthermore, if she was planning to leave that night, her timing was way off because... When she and the male friend heard voices at midnight, they thought that it was her mom coming back. Unless her plan to run away happened in the hour and a half after hearing those voices and her mom actually arriving, that seems like a big stretch to me. But after researching this, there was one thing that leaped out to me that I had more questions about. And I had more questions than I could find answers for. And this may have already been investigated, but because it is an open case still, There just hasn't been much details released. Just like the name of the physician, but to me, the oddest part of this is the convenient store clerk that gave her alcohol. Okay, I get that it was 1980. It was a different world in general back then. But there's still something very creepy about a store clerk willing to give a 14-year-old girl alcohol. And this seemed like it was a common occurrence for her to stock shelves and in return get alcohol. I do not know this for sure. I'm not one of the detectives detecting this case, but I would assume that there was a high likelihood that it is the same store clerk, either each time or several of the times. Someone that she knew, that she felt that she could trust so that she could get alcohol from him. I could see this friendship building where they talk about things, and maybe she told him that her mom was going to be gone that night that's why she wanted the alcohol. From there, there's no telling what happened. And again, that is really just kind of my own theory and questions that I would have about this. In the end, there is so much to unpack with this, and Lorene is still missing, after 42 years, with only theories, only speculations left behind, and no real answers. But this is going to bring us to a conclusion of this episode of Crime Nerds. Thank you so much for listening, sticking around, and stay tuned after the outro music for The Debrief. today's debrief story is coming to you from Baltimore. Two friends, Joseph and Tyree, they decided that they wanted to rob a bar, even though the bar was directly across from a police station. But that wasn't even the worst part of their decision. The two men went in the bar, they pointed their guns at the cashier, and they demanded money. But little did they know that the bar was hosting a retirement party for one of the police sergeants in the next room over was filled with with the cops. The cops were made aware of this situation going on at the cash register and they quickly apprehended the two suspects. I feel like this has got to be a criminal's worst nightmare, probably one of those reoccurring dreams, but thank you for sticking around. If you like the show, just a little bit recommend it to a friend. Thank you for listening and have a great day.